Welcome to episode 32 of Probably Polly, the podcast where we question everything, even our name. As always, I am your host, Michael Hayes. And I'm your co-host, Mandy Conant. Before we get started, we have a few announcements. The first is, I have a correction to make. Ooh, Michael was wrong. On the live Jealousy episode, I noted that when Sarah Neal was on the show in the episode, Questions to Ask When Coming Out, she said that Jealousy is, this is a quote of me saying what happened in that episode. It's not what she actually said. Not an emotion, and I like to tell people it's something you learn and is constructed and you can learn to deconstruct it. She felt like the way the podcast was set up was a misrepresentation of her view on it. And on review, it turns out that entire part where we talked about Jealousy must have ended up on the cutting room floor because it's not even in the show mm. that I told people to go listen to. So I am going to go back and go ahead and just change that to something I hear often said, since that is something that actually I hear often said, and make it more neutral. And then Sarah and I discussed the issue at length, and we feel that, as often happens on this show with Mandy and I, that after listening to the whole episode on jealousy, Sarah and I have very similar views on the mechanics (laughs) of jealousy, but there were some linguistic differences. She was using that phrasing to sort of get at what we ended up talking about at the end of the show anyway, how you can recenter your jealousy triggers to more appropriate jealousy triggers. Mm-hmm. I just want to apologize for that misunderstanding, and like I said, it's going to be changed, so nobody who listens to it after now will hear it, but all of those of you who live in, listen episodically, we wanted to touch base and apologize for that. The only point that I was really trying to clarify with that example is that in the non-monogamous community, people often treat jealousy as a lesser emotion which can be completely trained out, and which very rarely or never points at valid abuse, and I think it is both a system which most of us will experience for all of our lives, and I think that actual loss of resources is a legitimate jealousy trigger potential abuse claim versus fear of loss of resources if you haven't negotiated those loss of resources with the person who is engaging in activities that are causing you to lose those resources. So, you know, if you haven't talked about, hey, if you start dating someone new, I'm going to see you half as much and they just start doing that. I think that can be abusive if this isn't something you guys have talked about what you're going to be doing there. And in fact, even in the Franklin Vaux episode, one of the things that was on the list, although they didn't write it this way, was taking on new partners when he didn't have time or energy enough for the partners he has, which basically equates to losing resources and in a sense is jealousy, but I think it wasn't written that way because people wouldn't have taken it seriously. I just wanted to clarify that change and what I was trying to say and apologize again to Sarah Neal for misrepresenting her in that context. Which is what usually happens. We disagree on the words, but on the thought process... We completely agree on, usually. And of course, I think the words are important, so often I am actually just disagreeing with the words, because I think that the way that you say something can end up being important. Mm -hmm. Next, remind... that part. I hate that part. I've been looking at other podcasts that make enough money to actually function, and they have like a four-minute produced music auto-tuned request every single time for money, likes, donations, subscribes, Patreon, all that. And I hate it. I hate it. I don't want to do it. Let's just just take turns doing it. (laughs) Take turns doing it? Yeah. Like, hey folks, don't forget, like, subscribe, share, donate if you can. We really love doing what we do, so we would love your support doing it. So that we can do more of what we do. Yes. If you're not clear on how to donate, go to probablypolly.com. There's a donate button. Click on that. We're trying to not inundate you with a million pounds of ads that will make your user experience miserable, so... Yep. The more of you that donate, the less we will have to ask. So, And if on. you can't donate, 
share it with somebody who can. So we're actually going to be handling two listener questions today. So our first question is sort of shorter, so I think we can do both of them in one episode, so we're going to try. And I think even though they sent me a recording of how to say this name, I may still get it wrong, but I'm doing my absolute best. So apologies ahead of time for fucking the name up. So this is from Rose Rybrook, and they are from the Netherlands. And they are a personal coach and relationship coach there, which I think is really cool. So thank you, world. Yeah, thank you, everybody international. If you're international, when you share this, that's really exciting too. It's really fun to know that our work is reaching that far and it's reaching into some new and interesting questions as we'll see here. So the original question is basically why do we favor the term ethical non-monogamy instead of consensual non-monogamy as the umbrella term that we use for all the non-monogamous groups? And short, short recap, polyamory was invented to be an umbrella term but basically is no longer an umbrella term. We sometimes use it interchangeably on this show just because of the name of the show and what the term is invented to do as a branding mechanism but realistically we should consistently use the umbrella term for the non-monogamous community for all of those who for strong label-based reasons don't wish to be labeled as polyamorous which is valid yeah because it's very valid so we'll make an attempt to do that more and so the question is which one do you prefer and why do you prefer it Ooh, i want to answer first in like okay. the non-michael terms yeah, yeah go for it <laughs> I prefer ethical non-monogamy over... I think that basically any term was the option. So like what term do you want? Do you use the umbrella term? But the exact wording from the email is the term ethical non-monogamy became more visible in popular discourse in the Netherlands. But before that, the sociologically used term was consensual non-monogamy and was often used as the big umbrella term for various non-mono practices. I'm surprised by the change in language and I'm also puzzled. To me, when you say ethical non-monogamy, that means across the board everyone involved in it is on the up and up where consensual non-monogamy just to me sounds like the people who are in the relationship are consenting Mm -hmm. that's why i prefer ethical non-monogamy to me it just sounds like everyone involved across the board is being ethical because if one person's being ethical and they expect the other person to be ethical and they're being ethical it's more domino effect does that make sense Mm -hmm. whereas consensual non-monogamy just sounds like the people that are in the relationship are consenting consenting to it. Yeah. So a lot of it has to do with the evolution of the anti-nominogamy or pro-mononormative discourse in America. People in that mononormative grouping as a kind of insult against the idea that consensual is ethical in its own right or is enough develop this term ABR, which means anything but and then the R stands for the worst form of sexual assault. You know, the claim there is it's supposed to be shocking because their point is, oh, you think everything's moral as long as it's not, you know. Ugh, that's disgusting. Yeah. And they point to really, really extreme examples. So there was an example in Germany, I think it was Germany, where a man decided that he wanted to know what it ta- what people tasted like. And so he took to the internet and said, does anybody want to donate body parts that I can eat so that I can know what people taste like? And he met a dude on the internet. That's just fucking weird i'm sorry (laughs) who wanted to do that and they apparently became fast friends they spent a lot of time together they cut up some parts of that dude and ate him and then that guy had the other guy kill him they have all these videos of the guy saying this is what i consent to this is what i want i want my friend to be able to eat my body like and the question is well is that wrong and i think most people want to say that's still wrong right and that's sort of the problem with with consensual non-monogamy as a title line which is just because it's consensual doesn't make it okay right there are things that can be consensual to all the involved parties, which are still really problematic. I, I'm in some I, I'm way. so slack, John. I, I can't get over this. <laughs> he fucking ate him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's a really extreme example, of course. 
That's the most extreme example. Any absolute... The- oh, I just can't. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I just can't. I'm like, can't even compose myself. That's fucking nuts. And so this is the problem, right? That the consent alone does not conceptually make something ethical. And we've talked before about how we have people say things like, even if your wife says it's okay to sleep with other women, it's still cheating, right? So that something can be consensual and not ethical in the dominant view is part of the issue. Right. Ethical's more encompassing. Just because something's consensual doesn't mean it's ethical. But if something is ethical, I think it has to be consensual. That it right. is Ethical consensual. has to include consensual. Yeah. And the other thing that I like about saying ethical non-monogamy is that it undergirds the consensual part of it. So if you say consensual non-monogamy, I don't know why consent is important to you other than that it was just a requirement of the statement. Ah. Whereas if you say ethical non-monogamy, that comes with the philosophical framework that requires consent. Consent? Yeah. Like I said, it it encompasses consent. It's the way that consensual non-monogamy encompassed polyamory, Mm -hmm. and now ethical non-monogamy is encompassing consensual non-monogamy as well. Does that make sense? Yeah. The umbrella's getting bigger. Right. Right. And part of it, again, though, is a response to the people and the specific discourses going on in this country. I'll just go ahead and say why that's important now, and we can sort of circle around to it. Rose said that in Dutch, putting the word ethical in front of the statement sounds lofty and like quote we're better and more enlightened than you simple non-monogamous people oh we're enlightened relationships right so i can see how that (laughs) i can see how that would be the case if there wasn't a strong bias against non-monogamy so if non-monogamy didn't have a strong bias and you said we're ethically non-monogamous right because the opposite of that would be unethically monogamous so it's it's almost like, yeah, I get it. I, I see where the translation can be lost. But because there's a huge persecution and the mm-hmm. his specific historicity of non-monogamy in America and any divergence from the sexual norms in America and the persecution thereof, everybody in America gets that when you say I'm ethically non-monogamous, that you're not saying you're better than them. Right. I mean, most of the time they respond with, well, how do you know you're ethical? Or can you prove that? Or I don't believe that. And they feel super superior already. It's baked into our culture that the norm is so superior that nobody's going to go, oh, I feel belittled by your ethical non-monogamous statement. So I could see if you have an area where you actually have people being really ethical about things in general, that that could be a problem. And that is part of the reason why I differentiate when I use language in some of my speeches, I'll actually say ethical monogamy when I'm talking about thought through monogamy that engages in an ethical standard of some variety. Right. Ethical monogamy as opposed to having a cheating partner where you think you're in a monogamous relationship and you're not really. Or just unconsidered monogamy, right? So I think of ethical non-monogamy as being a different statement than unconsidered non-monogamy or ethical monogamy as being different from unconsidered, uncritical monogamy. So basically if you're using the base script, then... I think you're missing something important. And this is one of my general pushes is the idea that ethics isn't and shouldn't be seen as common sense. It is and should have to be studied if you want to be more ethical. We've said this before in in many ways. Being ethical is a journey and it's work that you do every day, even if it's only a little bit. It's a constant, never-ending journey. Right. And so somebody who was born, grew up, got the basic cultural message of what dating looks like and has never considered deeper levels of how to protect their partners emotionally, 
how to help people be happier even if you end up breaking up, what options you really have in relationships, fully consider all the possible types of relationship and then settled on the one that they decide to use for themselves as opposed to taking a default without even thinking about it. Mm -hmm. I don't mean it in a negative way, but that is less considered than the ethical non-monogamous position that I think you claim when you say ethically non-monogamous or that Mm -hmm. I want people to claim. Some of that is self-serving given what this show is about and what my general project is about, which is trying to convince people to take ethics in relationships and interpersonal ethics more seriously than I think people do. And when I take mean take it seriously, I mean invest in learning about it. Because people will take it seriously in the sense that they'll yell that other people are bad and they'll persecute people all day, but they don't have any reason for that. They're just repeating what's been told to them. Like an unconsidered monogamy, would that encompass like assumed monogamy as well? Yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah. So where you're at when you just sort of didn't even think about alternate options. Yeah. When we were like... 13 or 14 and that was just what we did or yeah that's the societal norm is assumed Mm -hmm. monogamy right and a lot of people do do this thing where they investigate all the relationship options and in fact a couple of major poly leaders have eventually gone back to being monogamous as the decision with the partner they're currently with because it works for them Mm -hmm. having considered every option possible and having thought about it and critically examined what relationship's going to work for the dynamic for the people involved and that's totally fine and that I call ethical monogamy. And the phase of the relationship as well. Yeah. I think there's just a lot of linguistic difficulties that Rose does eventually say, is it possible it's just a misunderstanding from English and has to be adjusted for the geographical and socioeconomic location? Yes. And I, I think that's yes. Yes. Yeah. I think it looks like there's, they're using a lot of the acronyms. So maybe go ahead and use the acronym and then when you describe it, just say, this is an import from America where it's highly persecuted and it's automatically understood this doesn't mean we're better than you. Unfortunately, it just doesn't translate well. The next thing that they ask is about a language question about consensus versus consent. Consensus versus consent? Yeah, apparently, I don't I don't know if this is how this works out exactly, but, quote, these two things are related, but as far as I understand, they're not the same. And I have thus far interpreted consensual as a derivative of consensus. Which is wrong, by the way. In English, consensual is a derivative of consent, not consensus. So that might be part of the thing. And the says in Dutch, though, consent can be roughly translated as allowing and not objecting, and consensus as mutual agreement of all involved. Oh, okay. Consensus says, uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. God, I hate English. So he says, therefore, consensual non-monogamy is not just consent-based, but goes all the way into consensus. Not only is a person, quote, allowed to do what they want, all people involved have to agree on the situation. And so, yeah, so again, in English, consensus is not, consent is not derived from consensus. They have a similar root word, and consensus means a group of people who all agree on a course of action, whereas consent does mean that you're allowed to do something, but consent in English in a relationship context means everybody in the in the current relationship is like in the dynamic is consenting but consent is not consensus so consensus not only means that everyone has agreed but has the connotation in english that they are doing the same thing well have agreed happily that it's working for them oh okay so like we all have consensus on this means we're all of a like mind yeah. whereas we've all consented to this does just mean we've all agreed Given, that i yeah. won't fight this and that's part of the reason why we in, in america don't want to use consensual non-monogamy because there's a lot of things that are clearly unethical and yet consent happens so when we talk about coercive consent that's still consent in right in the language it's not ethical right which is why we don't use it 
Ross has said that they got into listening to our podcast through the Franklin Vaux coverage that we've been doing. So to reference that for ease, many of the things that he was uh, accused of in the document of accusations are things where the people technically consented. You know, so giving him money that he needed help with. And so that's technically consent. Or the people that said they felt pressured to join threesome situations or moresome situations or orgy situations, but they did consent. They did say okay, and then they went and they did it. But all of the pressure was on unethical even if consent existed so yeah consent doesn't include consensus i i have to say if there was a term in english that was like non-monogamy by consensus i would have less issues with that but consensus also has a connotation in english a sort of group mind and there's a much more egalitarian freedom movement to a lot of the mm-hmm. the groups so i think that they would resist that as an umbrella term yeah because you don't have to be as the same mind as i am right relationship anarchists would not want to be under consensus non-monogamy mm-hmm. For instance, they would want to be under ethical non-monogamy because what they're doing is ethical when structured and considered appropriately and critically. But I don't think that they would want to identify as consensus-based. And of course, they includes consent because consent is part of ethics. And then one of the notes that they said as well was that they felt like ethics was different for everybody, that what's ethical for one person is not ethical for another person. But what is consensual is always mutually debated and agreed upon. And what I would say is, again, I think this might be a linguistic misunderstanding. The study of ethics, at least from a philosophical perspective is how we navigate interpersonal differences in values. So something is unethical just in that it's not something that everyone involved can agree is ethical in the philosophical context. Right. So ethics is about navigating those spaces. And of course, sometimes you end up with like a real weird outlier, like someone who wants to do something horrible, like hurt people. Like eat somebody. <laughs> might be in a space where... <laughs> But right, right. And so in that case, the ethical lapse they were in there was they didn't navigate the larger community around them. Right. The legal and other community around them to make sure that that was something that other people could tolerate, basically. So I have often used this distinction. It's not a perfect distinction. It comes up enough in writing that it's usable. And we'll use it on this show going forward to make things really clear. Morals usually means a person's internal compass. Mm-hmm. And ethics indicates negotiating between groups and differing perspectives. So even though morals might differ from person to person, And a lot of people are going to say things like, well, it's just wrong to be, choose any possible orientation, right? So people are going to say, it's just wrong to be non-monogamous. They can still think that we deserve to have the choice to be non-monogamous, mm-hmm. right? So you can have this, this ethical agreement that people should be able to choose what they want to choose and even be able to make mistakes, but still me, think they're making mistakes. It your boat. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> so I think a lot of that is in really layered and minutia linguistic context for words in at least the way that American English and the philosophical discourse that I have read has used the words that probably is just translating poorly in clear translations that don't have the additional context and again historical background of yeah. the evolution of those terms. So that's the reason why the English speaking world is evolving the terms in the way that they are. And I do think that maybe you should have different terms in a country that doesn't make sense or at least that could be part of your standard discussion when you tell people what the term is you can say and it doesn't mean X because it comes from this area and they had this problem. And again you can also use the umbrella the brother term so you can say something like it sounds like you've been practicing ethical monogamy and we practice ethical non-monogamy and then it doesn't sound so bad as long as you introduce the term before you get into it if you feel like that's what the other person's doing and we're jealous that you don't have the problems we have (laughs) yeah And, and then so finally again for myself i use it as a hook which is most people that identify as ethically non-monogamous i would argue are unconsidered non-monogamists or 
minimally considered non-monogamous. Like, they realized that monogamy had problems, so they considered that, and they just moved into non-monogamy. And they're using the word ethical just as a shield to represent that they're not any better or worse than regular monogamous people. Right. And I use the fact that we identify as a community as ethically non-monogamous as a way to tell people, look, you're already identifying as ethical. Why not do the work to really meet what you're saying about yourself? So you're saying I'm ethically non-monogamous. Let me show you what that would actually mean. You know, because a lot of people have already figured out, and you, you see there's a lot of anger in our, the community too, right? But I've already figured out that there's something structurally wrong with the hegemonic mononormative culture. Not monogamy, but the hegemonic mononormative culture, at least, again, here in America. I can't speak for other countries. I haven't lived in other countries long enough to know. And they know that that's bad, and they leave that, and they know that what they're doing isn't worse or less ethical, so they're calling it ethical non-monogamy. And they feel like it's more ethical because it simply is a, avoiding some of the really unethical things they ran into in, again, hegemonic mononormativity, but haven't explored it enough to realize that there are also many pitfalls and lots of ways to be unethical inside of non-monogamy as well. And so we're trying to help people navigate that so that they can take that inspiration and actually do the work to be as ethical as possible. Yes. So thank you so much to the life coach in the Netherlands for writing to us, asking us a great question. I hope we answered it thoroughly and as accurately as we could. And we welcome any other questions. Please feel free to write us on the website. Our emails are listed or on Facebook. Is there a way for them to comment on SoundCloud? Yeah, you can comment on SoundCloud. Literally no one ever does. We have one comment on all of our SoundClouds. We have a bunch of likes, but nobody ever comments on SoundCloud. I'm not 100% sure why. It doesn't feel like it's that kind of community. But yeah, if you want to comment on SoundCloud, we read it. SoundCloud allows you to send messages to the SoundCloud account. We read those. Any way that you reach out to us, we are reading them. Yes. So if you send it to our emails that are listed on the website, which are all just our names at probablypoly.com, you can send them to individual people. I get a decent number of emails. I don't think... I don't think any of the emails have gone to Mandy or Sarah mm, yet. But nobody wants to talk if to you us. Have, yeah, so if you have a specific... <laughs> well, it's, it's funny because originally we were getting all the questions through your community connection, so everyone was reaching out to you personally. Yeah. And now that people we don't know are writing us, they're, they're generally writing my account. Right. Which is the, the Michael at Probably Polly. But you guys can write them if you have specific questions for them. I mean, obviously we always share emails with every, each other unless you put in the email, don't share this question with the rest of the team. Then we won't, obviously. We will respect your preferences. But but generally speaking, that's and a lot of times like this one actually said hello Michael and Mandy and Sarah, but I had like a like it was hello Michael and then some other stuff and then like of course and Mandy and Sarah because they know that they were sending it to my email. Ah, but it did it did include you guys. Well, we appreciate being included. I speak for Sarah <laughs> and myself. <laughs> <laughs> So then the second half of the show is also a listener question, although this listener wishes to remain anonymous. And the question is, hey, you guys don't talk about metamorph ethics very often on your show, and I feel like you should talk about that more. Metamorph ethics. <laughs> But before we get into that, I want to quickly say what I said to this person and explain sort of why we haven't historically done that so much. And this has been coming up a lot with people that I've been talking to individually, so I thought I'd just tell everyone. Part of the question is, what is our project? And our project here, and this I'm using in the existential sense of meaning of your existence and the sorts of ways that you try to engage reality and other human beings, is to really dive deep on the ethics of interpersonal relationships through the lens of ethical non-monogamy. And to do that, 
we often find ourselves in one of those hilarious loops where we're in a situation that I want to say one thing, but I can't say it till I've said something else. And you need a lot of building blocks. Yes. So I'm trying to say the, this, build this whole pyramid. And right now on this pyramid, we're about a third of the way through that very first floor level. Yes. So we have a third of the basic blocks out. So we haven't even covered things in basic, like metamors. And we're trying to do it in the direction that we think is the most important. So I mean, honestly, even more than that, we've probably just laid out the space on the earth and then padded it flat. Mm-hmm. Like we... <laughs> Now we're slowly bringing in blocks. (laughs) (laughs) We got it outlined where it's going to be built, you know? And there's a lot of sidebars, too. Mm -hmm. That foundation has got to be really set and put down before we can move on to the next level. Sometimes we end up in a circular loop where everything that we're saying rests on something else that rests on something else that rests on the first thing that we're saying. And you just have to choose and dive in the middle or you'll never get it done. I find myself in these internal regressions where I think I want to talk about this, but to do that, I have to talk about this and then this so they're more like side circles as opposed to side yeah they go in circles right so at some point you're like i'm just going to dive in the middle and that means some of the foundation's missing but eventually i'll get to do the foundation of this and i've already done the other part that we need for the circle and we'll close that loop so we've been using the dyadic relationship approach as proxy for dealing with other forms of relationships because it's the primary relationship approach yes and what i mean by that is it's easier (laughs) Well, I I do mean it's easier, but I also mean that for analysis purposes, any relationship grouping can be broken down to some number of dyadic relationships interacting. Yes. So to look at a simple V relationship, there are actually three dyadic relationships in that space. There's the person in the V to each of their partners, and then there's the metamor relationship. Even though it's not triad, there's still a relationship there. Right. That relationship is a non-romantic relationship. It is a metamor relationship, but there is a relationship there. And in non-monogamy, as it's widely practiced in America, you don't automatically pick up the requirement for any specific relationship form with metamors. And so for that reason, most of the ethics around metamors that are not a voluntary metamor relationship, which is what we're talking about tonight, do fall as an ethical perspective on the person who's in the relationships. So you have people who want to have these great metamor relationships and they want to have certain lifestyles that require them. So if you want to have kitchen table poly with three of you living in the home, even though two of you are metamors and not dating, then you too have to commit to having a live-in metamor relationship, which is a very complex relationship like any roommate relationship is, but the additional complexity of being metamors and the additional complexity of trying to make it a life altogether. Beyond what people have to deal with with roommates... Let me put a warning out there, it is not for everyone. (laughs) So when you take that extra step and you commit to that, now you have started a new type of relationship, the intentional metamor relationship. I'm going to use that language to make it simple. So these intentional metamor relationships have a lot of different ethical requirements because now that's like getting into a friendship. It's like getting into a roommate agreement. It's like getting into a romantic agreement without the romance. And so those have a different burden. But if I am dating one person and I am following all the agreements of that relationship and I start dating another person, there is no built-in ethical framework for most of the kinds of problems that are problems in non-monogamous relationships between metamors. I.e., if the one of the V partners is spending way too much time with the new partner because they're really into it, it is not an automatic ethical 
requirement for the new partner to go, are you meeting all of your obligations for your other partner? <laughs> Granted, I think that's a good idea it's if you really know nice. that they're not, for instance. <laughs> it's really nice. It's a good idea if you know that they're not because it sets an expectation for how you want to be treated when they get new partners as well. Mm-hmm. And it tells you things about how they treat their long-term partners. However, they might not even have access to that information. So if I'm just dating someone at the beginning of dating, they met my partner, so they know, because we use a situation where they meet the partner, but that's not even required. You have people that have don't ask, don't tell, whatever. So whatever you're doing, they, they met my partner, they know that I'm non-monogamous, they know that my partner is okay with me being non-monogamous, and we're going on dates, but it's not like they're besties or even know my partner sometimes. I, I mean, I have a partner that knew my other partner for a long time at one point, but they only actually exchanged emails or messages once every couple of months. And so at the very beginning of that relationship, when I was dating them, it's not like they knew if I was shirking my responsibility to see my other partner, for instance. And if my partner who felt like I wasn't seeing them enough had felt like I wasn't seeing them enough, it would have been really inappropriate for them to write my metamore and say, hey, he's seeing you too much. Can you tell him to date you less and see me more? Right? That is not what you would do. You would, the ethical burden would be on me as your partner to meet my obligations and your needs. And you would talk to me about how I'm failing to do that. And because that encapsulates a much broader set of individuals, that's why we have been not focusing on the metamor relationships. And then the other thing, of course, is any advice that we give, as we often will say, we applies to friendship relationships. It applies yes. to all forms of relationships. So most of the things that we say, if you're in an intentional metamor relationship, apply to the intentional yeah. metamor relationship. All of that said, an intentional metamor relationship is unique. It has dynamics that no other form of relationship that anyone is in will ever have. The closest that you can get outside of non-monogamy to a metamor is dating a best friend's family member that they're close with, like a sibling, or dating a best friend's best friend or something. Because you end up in a situation where you have... A person has romantic feelings to you, but obligations to someone else, and those can all get tangled up on top of each other and make things very difficult. It's not so simple if your metamor is pissing you off as to just cuss them out and walk away, because they're still connected to the person who's the most important person in your life. So I think if you actually think about it, the, the closest that I can see in mononormative, hegemonic mononormative storytelling culture okay in television and stuff is the evil mother-in-law because you can't just tell your partner's mother to go screw herself because she's going to go back to your partner and be like they were so rude to me can you believe what they said to me right and it's going to be really problematic so you have to have this healthy relationship with that person because they're not going anywhere unless they mess up their relationship with your partner Mm -hmm. and obviously if they treat you a certain level of bad then you have the choice of never engaging with that metamor at that point going back to a low level of engagement but not obviously if you're all living together and then if you're all living together your mother-in-law is technically your metamor you both love the same person yeah that's not what metamor means generally speaking (laughs) it means you're you're romantically engaged with the same person but yeah, that's my point, is that the yeah. dynamic is basically the same. The level of intensity of yeah. parental child bond and romantic relationships are obviously fairly similar if the intent of those relationships is vastly different. And so navigating them is fairly similar. So for sure, look at the advice that we've given for dealing with hostile in-laws and hostile family members in these other episodes, of which we've given much advice like that. And that is the same kind of response as you're going to be able to employ here. And I think the absolute most difficult relationship in non-monogamy is intentional metamorphs. 
Yeah, I would I would agree that that is going to be the most difficult one because there's so much emotional valencing that has nothing to do with you that your metamor has going on. And and that relationship a lot of times hinges on how well the give me the word Michael the romantic relationship how well the romantic relationships work. Right. So one of the relationships that I had, I really liked the metamor a lot, and it was sort of awkward because even when I met the person I was dating, they were having trouble with this person. And so I liked that person a lot, but then I also was sort of low-key mad at them Mm -hmm. for the stories I was getting about how they were treating the person that I was romantically involved in. But as a like as a friend relationship or a metamor relationship, I thought they were great, which was really weird and conflicting, which I guess was sort of probably helpful because it made a slightly more balanced responses for me instead of sort of a, you know, and I, I try not to give people advice about the people that they are dating without an incredibly large amount of caveats if I'm also dating them. Like, I am also dating you, so tiny slights to you. I'm going to be like, that person's terrible. Right. Get rid of them. Because that's, I'm just really excited right now. <laughs> And I thought that personal relationship was going well. We had a lot in common. We had some really good discussions. I was getting, I was very excited to get to know them. And then after about six months, the relationship that I was in broke up and the relationship that but both of us broke up with this, ended up breaking up with this person or got getting broken up with by this person, actually. And I was like, I don't even have their phone number, I realized. And uh, I've never talked to them again. So like, if for some reason they were to contact me, I'd be like, oh man, we should hang out. You're great. Yeah. Losing metamors is a real thing. Yeah. And it hurts. And it can obviously be very, very hard. But again, that, that goes really well with the family metaphor, because a lot of the people that I've, I broke up with well, just, I mean, ever in my life, but especially back when I was in heteronormative relationships. You miss their moms? The, the hardest part was, not the moms, but some member <laughs> yeah. of the family. Their kids. Kids are rough. Their, their family, like their mm-hmm. siblings. Like if you like became best friends with like their brother or sister or parents. For sure, you know, in my family, my brother's divorce, everyone was really, really close with his wife. And then yeah, crickets. I like, definitely have just... relationships where I missed... I miss now, even now, I miss their family more than I miss them. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Partly because things might have gone wrong, but they didn't go wrong with you and the family. I was going to say, the so. family was never a dick to me. <laughs> yeah. So. Right. They didn't cheat on you right. or whatever it is that happened. For sure. So it's the same sort of situation. And I definitely agree that that's the hardest, is it the intentional metamors are the the hardest to navigate. And I don't know the exact context, but the, the listener was talking about being in a community that felt they had a lot of that the community in general had a a lot of people in the community felt they had problems with with quote-unquote problem metamors problem metamors and that's a really interesting one to me because to me your engagement with the metamors is either intentional or it's not yeah now i do understand there's a situation where you let's say you meet somebody and they're living with a metamor and you want to see them a lot and especially if you don't have a lot of wealth you want to see them at their home because that's the place that they already own where they can see you mm-hmm. it's convenient that works for you and you feel like their metamor is a jerk in that space and this is where i would still say that the ethical burden there as much as this maybe feels unpleasant to you is actually on your the partner. partner yeah the exact same way it would be if the partner's roommate was mean every time you came over and he needs to do something about that yeah. as soon as you walk in the door partner needs to or, do something about that yeah or if every time their mother was there they talked about how terrible you were right in front of you oh, you would not really be appropriate for you to tell that person not to do that so the space in which 
you get into needing to navigate your metamorphs ethically on your own is exactly the space in which you're not forced into engaging each other, but in fact choose to engage each other. So you say something like, I think it would be really fun to live in this house with my partner and you, the metamorph. Mm -hmm. I want to have a roommate relationship with you and a friendship relationship with you. And then inside of that space, there are problems. So then you bring over your friends and they're now mean to your friends. Now the ethical engagements on you. Yeah, this is a rough one. This is a rough one for me to talk about. I didn't I didn't realize this was gonna it was gonna be as hard as it is. Sorry, I'm being quiet. No, that's okay. I could use the help, though. Mandy definitely has a lot more experience navigating metamore relationships than I do because she is our resident having more relationships experts. <laughs> but for, well, for but. those of you that don't know, which is probably most everybody, I guess, I don't know. If you're friends with me on Facebook, you know. Because <laughs> uh, I am not quiet. Feel free to friend me. Um, but I just had one of my cohabitating partners move out so I had two partners that were intentional metamors, which again, crazy hard to do. And not everyone's cut out to do it. And there's nothing wrong with that either. So one of my partners decided to not live here anymore and moved out. And it's been really hard on me, of course, but it's been hard on my other partner as well because mm-hmm. he's kind of lost a buddy and a, a he lost a brother mm-hmm. and this is not the first time that he has felt that loss from one of my serious partners leaving so he's kind of getting fucking tired of it <laughs> that when i put my heart out there he gets hurt <laughs> sure so. well you know and ironically to go back to the interview with my mom that's why she said she didn't want me being non-monogamous was because she bonds with my partners and then if they leave she feels like her heart got shot in the face yeah valid completely valid i mean i definitely miss my metamore i'll just call her mon because i don't have permission to talk about her her username but i miss mon terribly she was one of jerry's partners and we used to spend a shit ton of time together and they split very amicably you know there's no hard feelings they still talk it's a it's a still a great relationship it's just not a romantic relationship anymore Mm -hmm. but i don't see her near as much (laughs) right so well and there's so much built in seeing each other and it's almost impossible to overstate the value of seeing someone in a built-in way. Mm-hmm. You know, one of my biggest fears is that my nesting partner, who I'm not romantically linked to, will eventually decide to move out and not live with me anymore. They will nest with someone else. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, especially in the society that we live in, they are poly, but they're not dedicated to being poly. Like, it's not that important to them. Mm-hmm. So I think that if the right person came along in the sense that met all their other needs and said, but I want to be monogamous with you, they'd be like, okay. And then convincing a monogamous person to share a multi-person household with a polyamorous couple is incredibly is not the easiest thing in the world. You know, I had a good relationship with him before he moved in, but just a lot of times I feel better just hearing and moving around. Mm -hmm. That sense of presence and closeness is really bonding. Like, I know his rhythms... And if he wasn't here, I wouldn't, wouldn't, I wouldn't know if they changed. I wouldn't know if they had become different. And so you would lose that level of connection. And just the simple thing, like, he has to come down to eat eventually. (laughs) So even if he's feeling super antisocial, I get to be like, hey, what's going on when he comes down to eat? And I had another 
friend, a really good friend, who is also very, very, very introverted, who used to live with me. And it was interesting because we had, we had common interests when we met, and we do not have common interests anymore. There is nothing that he's interested in that I'm interested in other than food. <laughs> like, we have to eat. Breathing but otherwise, and eating, and that's it. Yeah, breathing and eating. And he's a great friend. He's really responsible. He really wants to take care of his friends, and I like to think that I do well by that standard. We have a, I would say, a very solid friendship, but I probably see him once every two weeks instead of an hour or two a day like when he was mm-hmm. living with me. I know that he feels like we see each other a small enough amount that he'll comment on how sort of rarely we see each other. And of course, I don't notice as much because I have so many living roommates and he lives alone, so it's a lot easier for him to notice the lack. Right there but there's so much that you share living together is its own project so forging a household and a life together is one of the major projects that most people are engaged in at any given time Mm -hmm. it's not true of course if you're like in a college dorm you're not engaged in the project of house cult of household cultivation but for most of the people that are listening to this you're probably engaged in some version of that with the people in your household so that's something to talk about in and of its own self like hey how do you want to work cleaning the kitchen Do you want to talk about sharing meals? Do you want to talk about if we could share cars to go somewhere? Do you want to drive? Do I want to drive? It gives you so much commonality to talk about. Mm -hmm. When you lose that, you lose a lot. So it's not like it's not the same relationship. And it is obviously not healthy in a lot of cases after a relationship breaks up for that person to be around as much as they were before. And it just isn't practical. They have that time committed to somebody else, so they just don't have that time in their life. They still have to also meet their work commitments, their romantic commitments, their child, if they have any commitments, their other friend commitments, etc. Or maybe they just don't want to spend that time with you anymore, which is valid too. Sure. Do you want to talk about more about why they might not want to spend that time with you as a metamore anymore? Maybe it's difficult for them to maybe what your shared partner is doing or what's going on in their Mm. life because maybe they can't have that commitment to that partner anymore and it sucks. So it's kind of hard to know what they're doing too. So that that connection may still be hard for them. And, you know, they have other people, like you said, they have other people in life and so maybe they want their priorities to shift. Mm-hmm. You know, we say we, we blame shit on priorities a lot, but our priorities are what we want them to be right. when it bo- all boils down to it. We choose our priorities and it's not, that's not, there's nothing wrong with that. We just don't recognize yeah. it as that. So, sure. you know. In existentialism, we very specifically call your priorities your projects. Yeah. Right. So the things that you're trying to manifest into reality are your projects and how much time you put into them is how much time you're putting into that project so when you shift projects from one partner to a new partner or no partners or yourself self-development your career whatever you do that you, because you automatically want to. put less time into other projects mm-hmm. that's just how that works time is a limited resource and choosing yeah. different priorities we have the stigma with it that they just oh my priorities and we we make them sound like this negative thing and that if we choose to spend time with one person over another that we're this awful person Sure. When it that it's it just is what it is. Especially if you're going through NRE with someone, yeah, absolutely, you're gonna want to spend more time with that person over other people. It doesn't make those other people shitty people. <laughs> yeah, but the nice thing is to get to, to some actual advice instead Sorry. of just the sad parts of all this. There are a lot of tools that you can use the same way you do in any relationship to streamline a metamorph relationship. 
For instance, I definitely advise if you realize you have an intentional relationship with a metamorph, like, I like this person. Front-loading, having a talk about what your individual relationship with them is. Mm -hmm. I actually have very little doubt that if I had talked to the metamorph that I was talking about and said, you know what, I have come to realize that I really value knowing you, and I want you to know that that comes around and outside and far beyond the fact that I like this other person. You'd probably have their number. Yeah, I would have their number. And also, they would have known that it was okay to message me, and I would know that it was okay to message them, whereas I was worried that they would feel hurt if I did, you know, after that happened. So I always advise being open and honest. And it's it's so hard. I'm still learning as an adult. I'm still having trouble saying after 10 years sometimes to people, or three, not 10 years, but I guess it's been four or five years, three or four or five, to some of the people who are really important to me how I feel about them because of all of my training that you don't tell people, especially male people, if you are male and not romantically related to that person, how you have positive emotional content for them. But you know what? Do it. Because people have no idea how amazing that feels Mm -hmm. to be recognized. It means a lot to hear those kind of things. So tell people the way you feel about them. Oh my God, don't hold back. Because sometimes then you won't get their number. Yeah, and I've, I I know it must happen. I know it must be possible. But I think it's really rare that you develop strong, positive emotions for someone who hates you. This is true. In my experience, every person I've ever come out to and been like, I have this extra level of emotional content about you has been like, oh my God, I have that about you. And that makes me feel so good that you feel that way. Right. I've never, I've never lacked the mirroring part of that. Nobody's uh, ever you gone, know, because. Yeah, I've never had that experience. Now, granted, of course, but I mean, none of, most of my friends are not, hyper mononormative but you also know who your friends are like if your friend is hyper mononormative you know how to say that even in a mononormative culture and to have it heard and so i think that's the first thing is if you're having an intentional metamor relationship it has to be intentional which means you have to realize you're doing it on purpose once you realize you're doing it on purpose you should have a conversation with that person that says we're doing something on our own on purpose that needs navigating on our own Mm -hmm. on purpose and have a talk about what things are the province of the dating relationship that connects you and what things are the province of your own individual relationship. Go on bro dates. I've had partners go on bro dates before. Mon and I used to go out on girl days is what we'd have. And we'd actually take my daughter. So... We'll just call it meta dates because... The gender construct aside. Yeah. I mean, you, both of those also work. If you want, I and mean, if it works for you, you want to call them bro dates, girl dates, and that's what they are for you guys, fine. But but if you, you listening is a whole large group, right, yeah. so go on a meditate. Go on a meditate, for sure. Have constructed on-purpose meta time together and foster yeah. those relationships, absolutely. So then in that context, you do need to have discussions with all of you present about what kind of engagements and conversations with each other you feel comfortable with. What happens when your shared partner doesn't want you two to be going on metadates? So, of course, I prefer a more consensual and open-ended relationship format, which is to say that I would be very... I would consider very carefully if my partner said, don't spend time with my other partner. That would be a real big warning sign for me. I'm not saying it's an impossible scenario. No, but like, even if they just came to you and they said that they weren't comfortable. Michael, I'm not comfortable with you hanging out Mm -hmm. with Jerry without me around yet. Yeah, I think that would be the kind of thing where I would I would ask why. Like, what is it? Like, what are you afraid of? The same kind of discussion I'd have if you said, you know, I'm jealous. Like, if I, you know, the other way around, right. if I said I'm jealous of how much time you're spending with Jerry. Do you think that that raises a flag that there are things being kept out of things that are maybe not ethical in one of the relationships? 
One of my friends gave me this advice recently, and I don't know that they want to be lame, so they're just going to be random friends slash listener, that I thought was really a fascinating metaphor, which is a great application here, where they said, whenever one of their friends says to them, I think my partner's cheating, their response is, you need therapy. And they'll go, well, how do I know? And it doesn't matter. If they are cheating on you, you guys need therapy. If they're not, and if they're not cheating on you, and you're paranoid that this person who isn't cheating on you is cheating on you, (laughs) you need therapy. I mean, as a whole, I think we all need a little therapy. But (laughs) and that's true. But but that's my response here, right? Is 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 it a warning sign? Yes. It's not necessarily a warning sign that things are being kept back. Maybe it's a warning sign that the person you're with has a lot of insecurities, trauma, and insecurities, and could help with those things and could have a healthier better relationship with both of you so it's definitely a warning sign what it's a warning sign of i don't know it doesn't automatically say to me that this is a this person has is unhealthy for me per se but it does trigger the thought that there's a problem here there should be no reason that if you think the world of this other person and you think the world of me and we think the world of you that it would be scary for you for us to be together and if it is it feels like something that we would like to see if we could work out because i want you to know that me spending time with this person couldn't hurt you and you know and then obviously the other side is if you have something that's going on that's wrong like you're not sharing with them or they're really in pain or you're gaslighting them or abusing them in some way and obviously that's also a problem but either way it seems like something that that we should work out so you do develop this great relationship with your meta and when you hang out with them stuff may come up about your shared partner unfortunately sometimes you find your meta being your friend and maybe you forget they're your meta too mm-hmm. and you sure. vent about your shared partner and then right. that gets turned around and told to your partner mm-hmm. i've had that done to me and it sucks Because you want that person to, you know, they're your, hey, you know how I feel. You date this person too. Yeah. But But then it turns around and it gets back to your partner. Oh, it just sucks. I've had it happen to me. But again, think about the relationship structure there. That's like, it's like bitching to your your partner's mom. Mm -hmm. I mean, if it gets back to them, well, I mean, you bitch to their mom. That's kind of on you. You guys might have developed a really good friendship, but that is still that person's really important, significant other. You should not Uh, bitch to your metas about your shared partner. Right, and actually this is interesting because this actually takes us back, in a sense, to Norman's question. Uh, You guys don't remember uh, Norman Barth had a question for us that was... Like we did the episode on getting consent to share your stories. Like, so he wrote me the question. I wrote him what I was going to talk about. And he was like, no, and corrected me as we said in the podcast. And then when we saw him at APW, he was like, you still didn't actually talk about my question. (laughs) It was a great episode, but it wasn't about my question. And his question was about this, is that most of his social support structure are all metas Mm -hmm. in some way to someone else that he's in a relationship with. And one of his partners doesn't feel comfortable with him using his other partners or her metas to talk about her. Mm-hmm. So it's the other way around. So it's or I, I don't. I think also or talking to her metas okay. about her. Yeah, you know that she doesn't feel comfortable basically having him talk to people who are in relationships with one of them about the other one of them. Yeah, and we didn't touch on that, and that's something where that's enough that I have a hard time saying that's illegitimate. I think that's gotta be negotiated yeah it's not in a clear-cut space where i'm like well that's just wrong you have the right to talk to whoever you want about whatever you want i just don't bitch again anymore (laughs) right right so you you have you have the freedom of speech thing but in the autonomy is not a cudgel episode we talked about like just because you have the right to do something doesn't make it ethical or fair or kind well i like to do that thing. and i like it when people say you have freedom of speech but you don't have freedom from the consequences 
that come with right. that. And and so if you have a partner who doesn't feel comfortable with you complaining about them to either your other partners or their other partners, I think that's a legitimate issue because we know that discussions about negative talk about people affects the way that we see those people. Mm-hmm. So having those discussions with their partners or your partners is going to change the way they see you. And if they're in any kind of relationship structure relative to you, it's going to affect that metamorph relationship. Yep. And of course, that is problematic. Now, we are all able to make the kind of relationships that we want. And my family does the opposite, which is that we all just don't, we don't have lines about what you can talk about. And we just don't get mad if someone bitched about us. <laughs> Not that we never get mad. Like sometimes you hear something and you're like, okay, yeah. but that's the agreement. Right. But we, we use an open, as we've talked about, as I talked mm-hmm. about during the stories episode, we basically, unless you say the sentence, this is off the record. Yeah then it's not, is the agreement we have. But the point is that we all agree to that. Mm-hmm. And we, if not, we when we talk, when we meet new people, we ask them what they would like to do, mm-hmm. and we honor what that agreement looks like. So if, you know, we're dating someone new and they say, I don't want you to talk to your current partner about me, I don't. You know, my partner asks, they say, well, they don't want me to, to share that story with you. Or they don't want me to talk about my problem with you yeah. on that. And, I mean, maybe there are people who literally have no friends who are not in a close and powerful metamor relationship with every single person, the other person that they know. I feel like if that's the case and all the people in your group aren't comfortable with those kind of cross discussions, either A, you need to stop dating the people who are uncomfortable with those cross discussions mm-hmm. because you're harming them and not honoring their sort of consensual space. Then you choose who you date. Or you should make one friend that isn't dating anyone that you know. And I feel like that's not that hard to make a single friend outside of that circle. Yeah. I like, I love my monogamous friends <laughs> because I don't ever have to worry Safe. about, you know, them sure. ever being a meta or anything like that. Yeah. So. My friend that moved out is like one of those steel box friends. He doesn't talk to any of my other friends. He never mentions anything that I've ever said to any human being ever. And so if I'm really stuck in a corner, I need someone to talk to about like the worst of the worst stuff that I would say when I'm just like, I know I'm in a terrible mood. I know I don't even mean the things I'm about to say. He's definitely the person I'm calling because I know it's never coming back to anybody else. But a lot of the times I'll just clarify it with the person I'm talking to when I'm talking to them, like in the, will they tell it back to the other person where I'll say like, I would like to talk talk about how I'm frustrated with, you know, our, our partner. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you feel comfortable doing? And if so, is it something that you would want to tell them at some later point or be comfortable not, if I'm not comfortable having them share yeah. it, basically having them share my story. And if they're like, mm, no, then I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm not going to do that. Then I won't, yeah. But if they say yes and then they do it, honestly, like I'm with Mandy where she's like, I just don't do that anymore. It's always safer not to do yeah. that. It's, it's the same thing like, you know, like gossiping at work. It's just a bad idea. If you're going to tell people at work how you hate this other guy at work, the chances are it's eventually going to get back to that person, what you said, and it's going to have consequences that you're going to have to deal with. And even if it doesn't, you'll always be sort of stressed that you think it might have that happening. But these things are all negotiations. You can obviously see a situation where you could have a group of people who have agreed that they're not going to share with people they're dating. You can imagine a situation where we've all agreed that that's okay and you're just going to have to live with it and not take it so seriously. It really just depends on what works for your social group and the people that you're specifically dating. None of those are ethically better, but it's like, and that was the whole end of the telling stories, right? You got to get consent. You got to negotiate this and you have to take the time to do those things. Mm -hmm. 
and you have to take the time to negotiate it with new people. You can't just assume that the thing that your group is doing works for everybody, because that's not fair. That's couples privilege or throuples privilege or random large groups privilege. It's <laughs> random it's, large group it's privilege. treating new it's treating new people like outsiders, which is a super huge power dynamic and is unfair and, and cruel. You know, so you gotta take people as having equal stake when they, you know, see renegotiate as new people enter the space and let people choose the way that they want to be represented that way because otherwise you're going to be creating stresses that aren't even necessarily there if you have a partner that says i don't want you talking to your meta your other partners about me or my metas about me and you do they're going to be suspicious of those people even if you didn't tell them anything bad they're going to be like oh those people probably hate me (laughs) i'm sure he said something terrible about me to them you know and it's like why do you want to go and create that scenario where you're sowing like discontent or suspicion between people well, and then, you know, of course, the flip side of that is, to, to cover the flip side, if you're with someone who says, well, th- I need to talk to every- I don't, I'm not good at remembering what I am and I'm not supposed to say, for instance. Right. And so I don't want to do that. I want to be, like, if you're a person that comes into the space that me and my friends and metas are in, and we say, well, all of us basically say whatever we want about whoever we want, and we're none of us take it that seriously, because we all know we're here because we love each other, and we all trust each other to, to care about us, and no one's we all know we all have bad days. Yeah. yeah, we all know that everyone has a bad day, so maybe you're going to be like, man, fuck Michael, he was a jerk today, <laughs> and I might eventually tell him that you said that, but I'm probably telling him you said that to be like, you need to go talk to her because she's mad at you because you really hurt her feelings right. and you didn't even know, and that that's the upside of that is that one of the positive sides is a lot of times you can get that outsider opinion, that one of the problems we've talked about over and over again in any relationship is that that effect where when only one person is mirroring you it's like a funhouse mirror that's all warped and distorted so sometimes you'll do some shit and you'll go to your meta and be like i can't believe she did you know my partner did this shit and your meta's like oh you fucked up and you're like oh but sometimes they're like oh that person did fuck up i'm gonna go talk to them like you know like (laughs) and then you can say no i want to handle it or what you know you can have that conversation but again that's about having that conversation before you get in the situation. Yeah. It's always better to navigate before it. I know everyone loves that old saying, better to beg permission, oh, uh, beg forgiveness than ask permission. But that is a saying for being a jerk. Mm-hmm. That's the best way to, quote, get away with something, get all you can and harm people around you. That's not if you want to have the most harmonious... <laughs> yeah. If you want to have the most harmonious, most ethical relationships where it's actually good and healthy and helps everyone involved, Proactive. you want to do the opposite of that. Yes. If you're not sure, just don't. If you're like, wait, is this a conversation we've agreed to have and you want to have it? You can even write it down. And I've done this before. There's a conversation I want to have. I'm not sure what the rules are as far as what we're allowed to say. So I write it down and then I go to the everyone and go, how do we handle this theoretical? And I describe it in theoretical terms. And then we figure out what the rules for that are. And then I go have that conversation inside of that context. Mm. You know, so okay, I am seeing problematic behaviors in one of my partner's metamors, and we haven't talked at all about what we're allowed to say about problematic behaviors. I'm sorry, one of my, one of my metamors, my partner's right. partners. And we haven't talked at all about how we're allowed to talk about problematic behaviors. Okay, write down what I see, table that, go talk to my partner and say, what's our agreement on how we talk about these right. things? And if I have a relationship with my metamor, go to them and go, hey, I have this great relationship with you, but I feel like I'm seeing behavior from you that scares me how would you like me to handle that discussion like can i talk to you about it can i talk to our partner about it and then once you have that lay of the land then 
go forward from there. And obviously, you know, if there's problematic behavior involved, that wasn't the best example, because if there's problematic behavior involved, sometimes if they're like, no, you can't talk to them about it, but you saw them like cheating, for instance, you've probably still got to tell your partner. So, so in that instance, since we've kind of moved to that, which is great because I was just thinking how, how I was going to bring this up. Say you do have a good relationship with your meta, since that's, you know, basically what this episode is about, is having, fostering those good relationships with your metas. You're there with mm-hmm. your meta, you have a great relationship, and you don't like the way your partner is treating your meta. Yeah. How do you, do you address yeah. that with your meta? Well. And how do you go, I don't like the way my boyfriend's treating you. Like, <laughs> Well, okay, so so again, I think this depends on the negotiations you have had in your group. Yeah. I think that particular discussion is not usually one that people are concerned about people having, if that makes sense. I've run usually into it, Usually the rules that they're all... I've run into it. You know, no, no, right, well, well, I was going to come back to that in a second, but I so say usually the rule, if there is a rule, is something like you're not allowed to complain to one partner about another partner because right. the way that shifts the, the meta power dynamic. But on the flip side, because the meta relationship has a lower power level in a sense than the meta to than the than the romantic relationship mm-hmm. usually people don't get particularly upset well i mean it depends on how bad the fight gets and how quickly if one of your meta is like you're my boyfriend's cheating you wrong i wouldn't put up with that shit and then that starts no, a really big fight you, you might do. end up you might be you well you, but you might not i was talking to someone the other day that was saying that they realized after you know that uh that one of their partners was gaslighting not them, but one of his other partners. Well, I've definitely, I've had partners before where they maybe didn't talk to their other partner as respectfully. Mm-hmm. Hearing the conversations definitely threw up kind of a yellow flag for me. And mm-hmm. then I went, just so you know, if you ever talk to me that way, that shit's mm-hmm. not going to fly. So I felt like that kind of brought it to to the, my partner's attention. Like, mm-hmm. hey, you're not being very respectful. But I also wanted to tell my meta, I didn't in the long run, but mm-hmm. I wanted to tell my meta, hey, don't put up with that shit. Right. So this is the way that I would handle that, that theoretical specific situation. I would talk to my partner first. I'd say, hey, I've seen that you're treating this person in a way that I think is the kind of behavior that like it makes me sad the same way that i would talk to my partner if i saw them being rude to a server Mm -hmm. at a restaurant or just mean to people in public or i don't know kicking a dog i'd be like that that's that's a problem for me to be dating someone that treats other partners this Mm -hmm. way and i'd like to talk to you about why that's going on if you knew that was going on if that's something you guys had already talked about in some context like is there a power game that i don't know about that makes that make sense and also, I would like your permission to talk with them about it because I want to tell them that they shouldn't put up with that because I care about them and they're now my friend too. Mm-hmm. And I want to be able to have that conversation with them. And I think there, if there's any type of abuse going on in that relationship, that's going to flag it right there. Because if, sure. the, if your shared partner goes, no, I don't want you to tell them they're being abused, you know. Right. Or... Yeah. Right. Let's say, I want your permission should not be confused by anyone listening for me not doing that if they say no. Right. That's just, just that's for a me heads decide... up. That's not a, I <laughs> yeah. really want your permission. That's a, I'm going to do it. I well, just no, want you to know. 
<laughs> I'm gonna do it in some. I'm gonna do it some way. Like Mandy and I had a thing the other day where I had to do something that was, or I was thinking about doing something that was difficult. It was a difficult tangle, and I was like, I will get back to you on how I'm gonna do it. <laughs> it's not that I'm not gonna do it because I know it's the right thing to do, but I gotta figure out the right way to do the right yeah. thing to do. It's really what that was me saying in that context because if the behavior is abusive, there's difference between like warning signs of abuse. Like I feel a little bit weird about the tone you're right. using. Versus, I feel like there's a pattern of abuse here. But if I feel like there's a pattern of abuse there, I want your permission to talk to them about it. And then if they're like, no, then my response is, well, if you're not going to let me talk to them about it, then I'm going to break up with you, and then, then I'm going to talk to them about it. About it. Yeah. Um, because then you're not violating a relationship agreement because you're not in that relationship. Yep. And that's not an ultimatum. That's just how yeah, it's going right. to be. Well, that, that's one of those... I mean, it's, it's abusive. It's a boundary. Yeah. It's like, I see actual abuse happening. I'm not going to tolerate actual abuse as much as I would... I don't want to have this fight, and I don't want this to be my problem. Right. It is because of the situation I'm in. But if you see a behavior more like you feel like they're using tones with that other person you wouldn't allow, and they say can't talk to them about it... Like I said, to me, that throws up a flag. It is Right. It's definitely a flag. So my response to that would be something like, well, you can say that, but you should know that I'm going to see that as a warning flag, and I'm paying a lot of attention to the behavior, and if it looks like it's abusive, we're going to have to have this conversation again. But regardless, this is putting at least a small wedge between us... Because I don't know why you wouldn't want me talking to them about their own mental health because they're my friend. Right. And if you cared about them, wouldn't you want someone to talk to them about their mental health? But there's so much context there. Like, they might say, like, well, I want to have the conversation with them, and then you can. Or, you know, like, there's so many... (laughs) Yeah. Right, right. And then there's like, well, if you want to have the conversation first, and then I can have permission to talk to them. Like, I'll give you the space to be the one that brings it up, because I think that's fair. Yeah. You know, but... uh, Because then I think that they're, they're... taken action and they're taking responsibility for what they've said and that that would be awesome and to be all to be honest if that was the response that would be great so i think that's the the answer there is that i would talk to probably my partner first again subject to that person's mental health like if i'm literally witnessing something where they need to get out of dodge oh, right absolutely, now like yeah then that changes everything my partner just punched them in the face i'm gonna be like all right let's yeah. just go he just punched you. That's abuse. Yeah. We're leaving. We're both like, leaving at this point. We're out. I'm out. I'm not getting punched. You're not getting punched. Yeah. We're gone. Let's go. No more punching. You know. So that's obviously a different scenario, but a much more extreme scenario. But yeah, I think that if you see behavior that you think is... Because I mean, yeah, I mean, problematic behavior is at least in some way harmful, right? So if you see harm being done to a person that you have... Well, to a person, you have a moral obligation, an ethical obligation to try and stop that harm in the right con- in the most, most efficient context. But you also want to not, depending on the size of what you see, what the warning sign is, etc., you also want to do it in a way that, as much as possible, has respect for everyone's needs and the commitments you've made and gives people the chance to grow and do the right thing, mm-hmm. etc., instead of just jumping to terrible conclusions. But yeah, for sure. If your partner's like, don't talk to my partner about the things that I do, like or how I mistreat them, like, no, don't talk to my partner about how much money they spend right. on me. Like, that's a, yeah. that's a sketch response. Like... <laughs> So I hope, I hope we, did we answer the listener's question? God, I hope we answered the listener's question. Well, to reference our intro statement on this, metamors is a huge topic. Yes. Because it is easily the most complex relationship in possible. I mean, or tied with family relationships, right? Yeah. Because, 
you have an actual relationship in this intentional scenario with somebody who you need or want something from. So I, I say that because maybe you just like the kind of relationship you want is living with your partner. And that means you have to be a good roommate for the other person. Yeah. But you get in those situations as well. Like if you, again, you know, in college, I had roommate situations where my roommates and I, outside of the context of being roommates, probably would have hated each other's guts and maybe still did hate each other's guts. But we had to, we had that, the fact that we were sharing a living space that we had to navigate around yeah. and we had to have, but, but we were choosing to still be there. We could have left that space we could have chosen to get a new living accommodation, but for whatever reason, the living accommodation was valuable enough to not be worth vacating yeah. it like over. You, you may, may have hated your roommate, Joe, but you knew he was going to pay his bills on time, and you know sure. he shut all the cabinets when he was done in the kitchen. So and I think that's important to remember is that you're still choosing to put yourself into that mm-hmm. space because you always have the option to create a form of relationship that doesn't put you into contact with the metals Absolutely. that you do not like. And then you can, you know, withdraw your ethical obligation and say that we can put that back on the dyadic response and say, look, I don't want, I guess Joe's still our problem person, (laughs) Joe's relationship with you to affect these important things about our relationship. And I'm just going to not put myself in situationships, into situations where Joe's there. Yeah. And then you have to navigate that with your partner. And that may be that you end up not being able to be with your partner because they want to be around Joe all the time and you never want to be around Joe and that puts you at never being able to see them. And that is a choice we have to make. But in the end, at the point that you're no longer trying or wanting to engage with them, the engagement with your partner and if your partner can't meet your needs because of the other obligations they have, that's just like if you met a partner and you were like, oh, they're great, but they have six kids and the level of obligation it takes to take care of those kids. I want to travel the world and take month-long vacations. You're not compatible. It's not that you guys aren't, you know, don't like each other a lot. You're just want different things out of life your goals in life are different i've absolutely had relationships like that so that's the important thing because for me it always makes me feel more what the word is here but makes me feel better about the situation remembering that i'm choosing to be there like okay yeah i'm this person is really frustrating for me and we're all going to a movie together but i actually really want this i want them to see me as a person who's tolerable i want the chance to live in a shared household with them and you you know, whatever that looks like. And it's a thing that I, I do actually want. And if you don't want the thing, then get away from it. And if you do want the thing, you have to then, just like you would when you're coming into a relationship where a person has a bunch of partners already, you have to evaluate those partners and go, do I want to be in this relationship in this context? Right. Just like how if your partner changed, like people were like, oh, but my experience in heteronormative culture didn't prepare me for if my partner gets a new partner, how that changes them. And I'm like, yeah, but people changing did, right? Like, the myth that people say the same all the time is ridiculous. Right. People get a promotion, or people have a major life event, or people just have a midlife crisis, and you've got to change with them, or decide that to reevaluate. When you notice the change has gotten to a certain level, and you're no longer connecting the way that you used to, you reevaluate. Yep. The situation is going to be the same here. You have to keep reevaluating the living situation. I don't mean, like, where you live. I mean the evolving situation that is mm-hmm. your partner structure and metamorph structure and see how it's working for you. But if you are engaging those metamorphs, remember that it's its own relationship and that only in the places where it overlaps your other relationship, you know, is it about your other relationship. It's about your relationship with that person and what you want to get out of that. And if you want a great relationship, then you have to foster that. You have to put some work into it. Yeah, it's still a relationship. Yep. If you want a great relationship, you have to treat it the way you would any other great relationship. Great relationships don't happen because the other person's just around or dating your partner. They're not built in. They're not free. Free people. Which can also be a problem. I mean, that's a, a type of problem that I think happens there, too. I haven't 
personally experienced this one yet, but I know of people that even in my time in heteronormative culture did a thing where basically they dated somebody that had a larger social circle and then mm-hmm. invited themselves to everything through that to, to get access to social resources that they weren't really their friends. Yeah. And sort of force themselves on every possible situation, and it was miserable for for us. And but but you still had to have that conversation there, like as a as a meta friend instead of a meta more, where you're like, hey, you're my friend, and you just keep bringing this person that we don't like. So either <laughs> you need to stop coming to these things, or they do. But you know, and you still had to, and then you had, and then or or you'd have to check, like if they were like, well, if they can't come, I can't come. You'd have to go. All right, is that worth it to me? Yeah. You know, so that then then they're not just them anymore. They're now. Like, the, the combine them yep. or whatever, right? And so it's the same scenario. Whenever somebody has a metamor, when you have a metamor, and the way that they affect the person you're with makes them a person you don't want to be around anymore, all you can do is tell that person, the way that my meta makes you, I don't like, and try and navigate that. Yeah. And see if there is a way. And if it's not, that's who they are. Yeah. Like, you can't bet on the other person leaving, and you shouldn't. It's not fun. It's not worth it. It's not healthy. It's not be good for nice. anybody. Nice. Be nice. Nice. Yeah, so we really scratched the surface of metamors. We'll try and do better now that we have done a metamor intro when we're discussing things, if we see a place to put metamors in to do that. And I'm sure we'll do, like, we're going to do everything where we do multiple episodes on the same topic eventually. When we have a new specific drilled-down element, we'll do that um, on metamors going forward. But I think this was a good sort of starting, how do we conceive of metamors? How do we conceive of the metamor relationship? How do we differentiate for, like, a situation where like, it's a metamor by fact versus a metamor by intention? Right. I think that we have concluded are very, very different. Yeah, that's super different, and that is an important distinction, and the only way to know that you have a metamor by intention is if you both agree that that's the case, which is another thing is no metamor owes you their friendship. No, and you are not obligated as a metamor to be a friend. That's not part of the package, and well, I mean, unless it is part of your package. I mean, like, for sure, if the person you're dating was like, I only want to date you if you want to date everybody, I'd be friends with all my metas. I That's not a package I'd be a part of, but... I personally would be very suspicious of a scenario that people, anything that requires a relationship with some variety, as we've talked about with couple privilege, we've talked yeah. about with forced triads, closed triads, etc. Anything where it's not eased in and agreed upon, like when you show up and they're like, this is the deal, you get this package grouping, is definitely something to be suspicious of. When it's betas, not when it's like children. Okay, so guardianship. Yeah. is a unique form of relationship okay. that can include children or maybe taking care of elderly or disabled friends, family, or parents and is obviously a package deal because they're structurally a temporary sub-part of your life. Like, where you have to make the ethical decisions for those people so you can't ever, you can't, there's no way to opt them out. Alright, everybody, that is it. Next time we are talking about... We have oh, no man. idea. No, I do. We're talking about... We're talking about why the one penis policy is such a common problem. Why so many people want that. And why is it very, very seldom the other way around? (laughs) But not never, because you have a one vagina policy friend. Yep. So, it's not impossible. But very seldom. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to like us, share, and comment your questions. Uh, Comments, concerns suggestions we take it all all right thanks for listening bye